you're probably familiar with the concept of flow. You know, occasionally I meet people where flow is, is like, you know, it's not even times two, it's exponentially increased. And every time you and I talk, I feel like we get into a flow state where I lose track of time, everything becomes possible, and off we go. So Griff, just just awesome to have you on. Thanks for joining. Absolutely. Great to be here. Excited for our conversation. And I know we have a number of things to unpack and who knows what we might flow around. It's a little a little scary what we can come up with. We could be dangerous together. So so check this out. So I've I've started to look at the topics that we've covered on this podcast from an L and D or change management perspective. And and guess what? We've never talked about L and D strategy. More specifically, we haven't talked about the evolution of L and D strategy. So if you're up for taking it on, let's do it together. Uh, I'm definitely up for taking it on. I can't say that I have any uh, magical keys to the kingdom, but what I can say is uh, what I know and what I've seen. And, and uh, I think what I can also say is I'm where a lot of folks are right now, which is maybe with some good ideas, but recognition that how things will play out in the future is probably different than how it's playing out in my head. Let's start there. You have an interesting point of view on the market. You talk to lots of different organizations. Grift, what are the biggest challenges you're seeing in, in, in the market today, specifically within the L&D function? You know, it's a, it's a great place to start our conversation, Adam. And I, I think um, if, I, if I could maybe offer a couple different lenses on, on the challenges, because I think naturally the first place you go to um, is you see all the research, you know, whether it's LinkedIn learning reports or whether it's what Gallup has put out or other areas where we see the increasing emphasis that uh, people are placing uh, in terms of what they be- what they believe or perceive their employees' uh, responsibility is in terms of helping them build and develop skills, not even just to become great in their organization, but frankly, to become great at large. And um, in some respects, that's extremely scary and daunting because that level of uh, expectation has never been higher. Uh, but obviously, sets up a really awesome opportunity for the folks who are willing to, 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 to grab it uh, to show that you know we can be, be a strategic uh, 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 results driver of the organization um, because people are looking to us to do just that. So I think one of the altitudes is to, to recognize that you know what we what we're seeing kind of put out there in the market around the importance of of of, of people understanding the investment that their companies or their organizations uh, more broadly are making in them. A bigger challenge, though, I think, is that in doing so, uh, we don't necessarily, and I say we in the collective learning professionals, folks who, who, who sit in the middle of people development or people initiatives, uh, we haven't necessarily uh, had the investment over time in tools, processes, frankly, behaviors as well, uh, to really be able to meet that need consistently and effectively. And so I think the big challenge of our time is recognizing that employees and our other partners in our organizations have never looked to us more to help define the future of our organizations really from a people-oriented lens, which is a fantastic to play, place to be in. But the reality is, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but I think a lot of folks are, are a little bit overwhelmed uh, really understanding how to meet that challenge, both from a, an operational standpoint as well as a behavioral standpoint. So I see that as sort of the overarching uh, curve, the learning curve of our time, is the the folks in the organizations who will be able to figure that out will be the the the, the talent hoarders of the next generation. Mm. 
talent hoarders. And let's attempt to, if possible, simplify what the challenge is. Would you say the ability to connect behavior and performance? I think so. I think, and again, this comes back to not just the, the, the lack of ability uh, in folks who are sitting in these roles, but I think it's also the lack of investment. And if you think about how other parts of organizations have evolved over time, really the, 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 the clarity around uh, impact and, and behavior um, has become clear in other parts of our organizations. But frankly, it's because a combination of, of continued investment as well as uh, a skill development in those particular areas. So I look at a, a, a part of the organization, say, like, like, like sales or like marketing, and maybe not to bucket them both, but think about all the tools, all the resources, all the data points that a marketer or a seller has to really understand the different things that they're doing or trying out and the way that they're able to drive impact. And I mean that on the individual level, as well as if you bring it up to the functional or business unit level, the amount of clarity and transparency that exists in that system to understand uh, correlation or causation of, of impact is just, it's extensive. I don't think we have nearly a shade of that yet in what, in what people development has at the, their disposal. And so I think if I were to boil it down and not to oversimplify it, but I think it's the combination of saying, what do we need to do as people to be able to build in these new environments within these new expectations, uh, helping to define and codify a people first strategy, if you will. And the second piece is, will our organizations be willing to invest the necessary time and resource to ensure that the data sets are there, that we can really start to measure measure impact uh, as appropriately as we do in other parts of the business. And it's interesting to look at the world of marketing where you could say, okay, we're going to spend an additional $10 million. We expect that $10 million to bring in X number of new customers. These customers' lifetime value is this. Here's our return on investment. And it took a while. This is not how marketing or the sales wor world be began. There were no tools. This the pre-CRM. If you kind of think about the baby steps that industry took. And now you're saying that's not dissimilar in how we can think about this world where an investment le leads to this type of impact, behaviors change, that has the following impact on the performance of the organization. But is it chicken or the egg, which comes first, the investment or the impact, or is it about strategy? Creating a strategy, providing the clarity. And, and Griff, dare I ask the question of where does this belong, which sea level? Oh my goodness, how many conversations I've had where we're bouncing around the C-suite to find the person who should own the the strategy. But what are you seeing? Maybe give me some options to where you think this could go. Yeah, it's a really it's a really great question and a great segue from where our conversation's already gone. Um, and again, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I don't think I have uh, the perfect answer here. I can just give a couple of of uh, of things and considerations based on some of the the clients we work with and some of the things that we're seeing in the marketplace more broadly. I think there's a couple things at play in the C-suite that need to happen for this uh, for this strategy or this people-oriented or people-first strategy to be able to take place. One is there needs to be a C-level-wide belief in the concept of employee lifetime value. You kind of mentioned this already with customer lifetime value, and I think you see you know, the, the, the evolution of, of industry in, in uh, the United States in the last few decades, you can, this is an oversimplification and by, by, by many means, but you can really start to see that uh, there have been just a widespread belief across seniors, senior levels of organizations 
in terms of uh, the idea of lifetime value of customers. And that might have started in particular industries, but it has since found its way pretty much across the board. We think about the idea of a lifetime value of customers. What's interesting right now is that there are the seedlings that exist in the employee lifetime value uh, calculation or equation, but they're just not connected and people don't think about it in the way of employee lifetime value. So you often hear about you know the, the cost of bringing in a new, a new hire as opposed to retaining your current talent. Or you're, you'll, you'll hear about the cost of losing knowledge capital when more senior folks leave your organization. But all these things are sort of talked about in isolation. There isn't necessarily this widespread belief of matching the concept of employee lifetime value to customer lifetime value. So not to be too long-winded, but I think part of it is how do we instill that mindset or belief in the entire C-suite that those two things belong on the same par? So, so let, me, let me ask you to, to clarify, and, and you know, words matter. So you said the word belief, right? On the marketing side, I don't know if it's a matter of, actually, I know it's not about belief, it's about data. Here's the lifetime value. Here's you know how long we expect the customer to stay if we do the following things. We nurture, we continue to focus on the brand, and so on. So the question would be, do you think it's belief or is it a question of how do we justify it? How do we create the use case w- inside the data? Without, without maybe sounding too esoteric, I would say it starts as belief, but transitions to more data, data orientation. I think with any good idea, I mean, go back to what we're just talking about, right? With customer lifetime value, there had to be at, at, at face value, a belief that this is the right approach. And so right now, I think maybe we're a bit more in the belief stage where we need people to take the leap of faith to say, we do believe that these things are, are on an equal platform in our organizations. And the data story, the impact story, the result story should follow. But just like you see in any kind of adoption curve, right? There's always the early adopters who are the believers, uh, and and frankly, that's what it that's what it's going to take right now is to is to sort of you, you know jump, recognizing that there you know there is a potentially bright future from from where you have uh, from where you're going to leap, but we don't necessarily know exactly what that looks like right now. So I would say it starts as belief, but but transitions to more concrete value based story over time. Nailed it, and I think it will. Uh kind of describes the audience of this podcast early adapters those who see it and, and you're so right starts with the belief otherwise how do you build a use case so so do you think we're at a inflection point i keep hearing this over and over again that lnd era is over whether you refer to it as the catalog building era there's so many with different ways to describe it and now we're looking at a new era that's beginning beginning um how do you see it you know dare i be even more bold as to say, it's almost a rebirth, because I think the level of change or disruption that needs to happen, and just the everything from the way we think about learning to the way that we build learning to the way that, as we've talked about, the way we strategize around our people, needs to needs to change and 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 uh, and, and shift as we think about this the the next wave of whatever comes at us. I'm not here to tell you I know exactly what every single one of those elements look like. I'm going to be a learner along this curve, just like everyone else is. But what I can see is that those feelings of overwhelming, those feelings of, I don't exactly know how to prioritize, how to shift, what should I invest in? Who should I invest in? What partners should I bring in? What tools do I need? What skills do my people need? How do we build a learning journey? All these questions that are that are circling around. And to me, it's not so much just saying it's an inflection point. It's saying we have to rewrite the, the code. We kind of have to start back at the zeros and ones. 
And again, for a lot of folks, that's a bit scary. Frankly, I'll tell you right now, me saying all these things out loud is scaring me a little bit. Um, but with the, that kind of uh, a great amount of, of transformation and rebirth that's necessary, it comes the chance to, to, to rewrite for your organization the future of what it means to take care of your people, help them build great, great careers. And so if you look at it more in the lens of we're in a rebirth, but a rebirth in the lens of becoming dynamite at attracting talent, keeping talent, helping them invest and build in the ways they want to build, offering them more permutations in their careers, all of these things become exciting challenges to step into versus just looking at maybe the the next 12 to 18 to 24 months and saying, you know, O-S-H-I-T, this is a lot to deal with. What we can say is, O-S-H-I-T, can you imagine what we're going to be able to do for our people in the next wave of whatever comes next? It's truly an opportunity for those who are willing to evolve, to grow, to add the new capabilities. So maybe l- let's go there for, for a minute just to, you know, with, with broad strokes. W- what does that world look like? You, you, we talked about marketing. Are we, we're looking at the future where L&D has marketing like teams. And by the way, yesterday was the first time I interviewed someone that just brought a marketing uh, specialist inside an L&D team. Do we also see technology? Do we see the entire learning look more like the marketing team does today? Broad strokes, Grift, how do you see this this capability in the future and what resources are going to be a part of it? Wow, that's a, that's a really great question and, and really interesting to hear and would love to even hear more detail about what that uh, infusion of marketing is looking like into that particular organization. I think you can draw a lot of parallels to say that you probably will start to see more analytically focused roles in learning. I think you'll probably also start to see uh, more uh, alongside analytical, more success measurement style roles. How are we making sure that we really are getting the most out of the data that we have? And if you think about this in the context of utilizing employee data or utilizing learning data or people people initiative-based data, um, you know, how are we going to make sure that is relevant both at an organizational level so that we are driving towards the, init- the, 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 the metrics or the KPIs, the key performance indicators that matter for us most? But then with that new lens of, of, uh, of the team, can we get down to that, 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 the, the holy grail, if you will, of scaled personalization uh, of learning and allowing people to, to really step into what matters most for them? So I think you know, from an operational standpoint, you're probably looking at a team that has more focus, more layers, um, more proactivity just built into the way that it operates. And then, you know, more tactically, when it comes to people being able to get what they need from a learning or a leadership development, uh, you're probably going to be seeing a lot more permutations. I don't know if, you know, if you can almost visualize uh, the different uh, branches that 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 could happen on a particular learning journey, right? And we have those we have those visuals right now for how people build careers in organizations. Where you think about the branching, you know, of different permutations you can go down. Imagine that same kind of thing for just a, a single learning journey, and how people can go deeper, or go backward, or go forward, or or stay in the same place, or you know, talk to experts in real time, or you know, talk to someone outside of their company in another company. Like you, you could start to see all the different ways that you could layer on these these ways to to help people drive that that personalized impact and really feel like they're being invested in. So again, not to be too long winded, I said I guess the TLDR is you can imagine the, the the makeup of the team will change and the skill the skills required will change. Uh, but also the experiences can just become masterful in terms of how 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 focused they can be for individuals. 
You said scaled personalization just caught my attention that that combination. We say those words, you know, just in different contexts, but scaled personalization, considering the learners or the, the employee journey and not just their, their career, their career. That's extraordinary. And of course, you, you know, looking at data, any marketer, any marketer today that you talk to, it's all about data. Data is the insight into the experience to meet them where they are. Um, and, and, early- and Adam, just to, sorry to cut you off, but to build on that a little yeah. bit, I, I think, you know, along this path, and I would assume this is probably true for marketing and for sales too, but, you know, I think it's also very important to remember that, and this is a little bit of a saying we use uh, internally at Thodium is, you know, we are not in the business of changing behavior. We're just in the business of creating the best environment to get somebody to want to change their behavior or to build something. And I think along this line of transformation and technology and, and upskilling and offering all this personalization, still can't lose the fact that people need to be the biggest stewards of their own learning. And I think that will be the human, the human element that pulls through is the recognition that we might, although we might have the best tools and the best capabilities, what we're really trying to create is the chance for people to do what they have always done, which is change their own behavior. They have to make a choice. Someone last week said, we assume they're a captive audience. They are not a captive audience. Even if they are present on your on your Zoom or, or in your virtual or even in person experience, their mind can wander. They could be entirely somewhere else. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned the term altitude in the context of L&D strategy, and, and there are a number of altitudes. C- can you walk us through those altitudes? Yeah, yeah. It's not, not rocket science by any means, but I, we, we, gen, we tend to think of, uh, when we work with our clients or just you know more broadly, we think of, of strategy along three altitudes, and we use the same altitudes for learning strategy. It should be no different you know, planning a, a, a people or an HR or a learning and development specific strategy than it is for, for planning just a broad business strategy. So we talk about the very, the very high altitude is what's the future vision we're setting. What we like to, to use in this particular altitude is to get people to think less in terms of blocking and tackling and think more in terms of what do we want learning to feel like in our organization on a day-to-day basis in five years. That is such a different conversation to have with your stakeholders than what are the initiatives we want to make sure go successfully uh, in the next five years. So we start with a little bit of the, the futuristic lens of, uh, of emotion because what we know to be true is that people respond to emotion and we should strategize around emotion. Um, so what do we want learning and, and, and more broadly learning and development to feel like? So we start with that high altitude of creating that, that futuristic looking strategy. The next one then becomes a bit more the operational lens of strategy. So what are the, you know, the tools, the capabilities, the processes, the resources that are going to be necessary to get us to that longer term strategy? And you can think of this as you know, the current skills we have on our team, the current platforms we utilize, the current data we're able to capture, the current results we think we're able to drive. And all of that becomes how do we create from two shifts around there? So we like to we like to, to focus, as you can probably imagine, a lot in the current state, future state, and then how do we bridge between? We see this middle layer, this operational level, um, as the sort of the bridge level of how do we get from where we are today to the to the futuristic version that we're trying to aspire to. And then the last one becomes a bit more of the everyday. What are we doing on the one to two percent improvement scale every single day? Our ways of working, the way we show up for one another, 
the way that we're improving ourselves uh, every day to get us along those other two altitudes as well. So we think about those three altitudes in every type of strategy we set with our clients, but predominantly when we think about strategy around learning and around people, it's just as true there as it is anywhere else. Starts with what we want to, what we want the journey to feel like. Just fascinating again, comparison to the world of marketing. You know, all the brands are asking how we want people to feel when they interact with our brand. Griff, let, let's talk about a, a use case, an example. Like, uh, as well as if you can talk about a metric of success. You, you and I discussed aspirational leadership development. So may, maybe maybe walk us through an example and how you would measure success. Yeah. So not a concept that I've authored myself. So I will give a lot of credit to the to the original inventor of the idea of aspirational leadership development, but definitely a concept that I've I, I've become familiar with and really appreciate in organizations that can have this kind of foresight in terms of developing their people. So broad stroke, real uh, TL, too long, don't read version of aspirational leadership development programs, a little bit in the name. How do we give people the chance to step into or simulate what it's like to be a leader in the level above them uh, to really understand whether or not that is the right career path for them? So oftentimes, and this is true across industry, across size of company, we, we tend to be just-in-time trainers or just-in-time L&D providers to say, hey, you now are a first-line leader. Congratulations, here's your new cap. Uh, this is the cap you will now wear to work. You can throw away the old cap or actually keep the other cap on, maybe maybe flip it backwards because now you have to wear both of these hats. And uh, you should be really excited about this. And now you have multiple responsibilities and we're going to give you some some feed, some some coaching uh, and some feedback training and some ways to deliver performance reviews, et cetera. Sounds great in theory, the idea of just-in-time, but just-in-time generally works better in inventory than it does in helping people learn uh, certain skills. So what we really love about this idea of aspirational development is you're giving people the chance to really sit with things for longer and really come to a conclusion for themselves. Now, we're not saying you're always going to be uh, able to simulate the environment of what it's like to lead a team, let's say if you're an individual contributor, but you at least can start to get tastes and flavors of what that is. And uh, what we also like to say is any good learning experience is going to give you a sense of deja vu. So when you, when you experience something back on the job, it will, not be, it will not feel like the first time, and therefore it will not be as an emotional of a reaction that you have, regardless of whether or not you show up exactly as you want to in that particular moment. So Anyway, long-winded, I said it was going to be TLDR, long-winded way to say aspirational development programs, in our opinion, are really, really great ways to give people, A, the, the perceived the perce- perception that they're being invested in, and B, a chance to really sit in that seat and give some good uh, uh, a thought to whether or not that's the right path for them. What's interesting about looking at this more transformative style of, of learning and development initiative is that we can then start to rewrite what it means to be successful. So when we think about leadership development, we think about manager development organizations, oftentimes the first place we go is let's take a look at the performance of their team and let's take a look at their manager engagement score. Those are, not, those are great metrics. We're not saying throw those metrics out, but what if you had a leading indicator metric from running something like an aspirational development program where you actually were allowing people to self-select or opt out of manager tracks? And then what if you could start to say that because that metric actually is a little bit higher, that's probably good for us because what we're seeing is that folks in our organization predominantly in certain respects don't want to be always stepping into that direct people manager role. And so we're actually giving them the chance to find that other branch on the career development tree. So just an example of how simply 
redrafting what it means to develop leaders in our organizations and thinking about those 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 metrics around giving them the the, the simulated uh, uh, experience as well as that perception of career investment can totally change the way you see success. And then when you get uh, what you what you would like to see uh, with those with those aspirational development programs is that folks who do take on the manager role recognize the commitment, recognize what it takes. And hopefully you're starting to see the, the lagging indicators of manager engagement, team performance, et cetera. So again, go bring it all the way back to our conversation around employee lifetime value, right? That's such a, a way to look at your employees from a lifetime value lens, as opposed to just a just in time, what can you, what can you deliver for us now? And how are you doing lens? And just to clarify, you're saying a measure of success are leaders that are opting out, not opting in, opting out. Right. And, 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 and why is that a good thing for the organization? Because on the surface, it seems like that's, that's a bad thing. That's an unsuccessful program. People are opting out of it. Why is this a good thing? Yeah. Well, you know, a, a this also is under the, the pretense that there are ways for people to advance in your organization that don't require a, uh, a leadership, a, a, a direct people leadership role. And I would say if you don't have those opportunities, then maybe it's time for a broader conversation. But what you're, what you're offering up is, and I would say it comes down to two, two big things related back to what we've already, de- we've already described. When you see that metric start to grow, what you should find is that people are, are, are telling you that they find they'd rather keep that IC level of responsibility, al- although it might grow. But that person is going to be in a role that feel they feel like they can really bring their full self to, that they really feel committed to, uh, and they tried out a bit of the the managerial lens and they didn't love it. And so what you would generally have would be someone who would just think that that had to be the next step. They would go into that particular role. They probably wouldn't like it. They might become complacent. They might become bitter. They might attrit. And so you have all these things that you could potentially front run with giving them a chance to understand what it actually takes. And now you give them a chance to utilize their true skill and passion in a very different way. So that number going up probably tells you that there are a lot of folks in your organization who, who don't want necessarily to have that direct people leadership, but they're going to find ways to be super valuable to your organization, again, with the pretext that they have the ability to. So what might seem like a counterintuitive measure of success on the surface could be one of the largest drivers of, of, of manager success at large in an organization. Yeah, and I'm even thinking about the multiplicative impact of the manager who shouldn't be a manager, and I don't like the word manager, who shouldn't be a leader. Now, all of the direct reports, imagine reporting to someone who who isn't a great leader, doesn't want to be a great leader, whose biggest passion is probably technical and execution operation, and all of a sudden here they have to deal with quote-unquote soft stuff. Mm, Yeah, and put it in the context as well, Adam, of of stripping away so many of the layers right now. When we talk about the hybrid and remote workforce, where that that people leader is responsible for so for carrying so much of the culture and so much of the connection for individual people. And whether or not that will stay the case, right now the reality is that um, a lot rides on the shoulders of a direct people leader to bring a great experience to their people. And if they aren't really bought into that role, that pro- that will show up. And whether it does immediately or eventually isn't really important. It's just that it will. Yeah, we'll be publishing a, an episode with Gallup, and it's you know seventy percent of the variance in the employee experience is all about your direct manager, which which also makes a ton of sense. Ton of sense. Um, l- let's kind of go back to where we began the conversation. We talked about the future people initiatives. We talked about the current challenges, but instead, let's reverse that and think about the milestones looking forward. 
What, what do you think are some of the biggest milestones, capabilities w- w- for the organization to, to really visualize their journey forward toward building this, this new state? See, Adam, I knew you. I knew you. Sh- I knew you were going to ask me a couple of these milestone uh, metric-driven, just given what I know about you, and I probably should have come a little bit more prepared. But I'll give you. I'll give you my best crack at it. How about that? Perfect. Um, one of the big things that we've been chatting with uh, more, more uh, pr- particularly in the last six months, uh, towards the end of 2022, has been around uh, R and D, research and development, as it relates to learning and development. Um, I am a firm believer that as it currently stands, most organizations do not really firmly grasp the importance of having a similar R&D mindset in what you do and invest and how you invest in your people uh, as you would in your products, as you would in your go-to-market motion, as you would in your marketing. I think that we're one of the big milestones, and maybe this is a broad way to look at milestones, but I think one of the broad ways to look at milestones is how actually are we going to be including the concept of research and development budgets within our people initiatives? Are we actually going to make the space for testing and learning? Are we going to build strategies, frankly, within, with inflection points or acceleration points built in? How often are we just building a strategy, a zero-based budget for the year? And this is exactly where we're going to deliver, and this is the number of programs, and this is the number of people, and all of that is fantastic to have, but where's the variance? What what happens when you have a year like 2020 where the entire plan has to go out the window? And I know using 2020 in the exaggerative sense here is not the perfect analogy, but let's think about you know 2022. Huge inflection point in the middle of the year. What happened with all the budgeting that we had towards particular initiatives? And if we're not necessarily planning for both how we continuously improve ourselves as well as the external market factors, um, we're going to continue to find ourselves in reactive stance most frequently. So I think part of that starts with the commitment to putting real investment time and resource behind, behind learning and development or behind people initiatives. So that's one big milestone. Uh, I think another big milestone is where we'll start to see the concept of, of people strategy and just strategy more broadly, almost interwoven to the point where it's unrecognizable, the difference. Um, I I am seeing, and frankly, this is pretty exciting. I'm seeing a lot of organizations who are leading with uh, an employee-centric set of core values or employee-centric set of strategic priorities, recognizing that we build on the foundation of the folks who work with our customers or who work with our partners or who work with our stakeholders. I think another big milestone is how are you thinking about the orientation of your strategy as it relates to the individuals who are asked to execute about uh, upon it. So two big areas, again, these aren't necessarily milestones, just more uh, maybe uh, maybe signals to be looking for in, in the market, but I think those are two big ones. And then the last one I would offer up, um, uh, you know, in the lens of, of not just what our teams are capable of doing, but just the tools that, that our folks have access to. What's the actual, um, what's the platform counter? What's the platform ability is probably a better way to put it that allows our individuals who are tasked with running people initiatives the chance to really plan appropriately, plan for pivots, as we've already talked about, build uh, under the pretense of, of initial data and testing and learning, but also getting the right data throughout any experience or journey or initiative that allows for that acceleration, redirection, or, or, or ceasing of any particular activity. So I think that the third piece will be a milestone around technology or technological uh, investment 
that 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 kind of backs up the top two. And it also ties back to think about all the technologies and platforms used for marketing, right? And and it grew out of that. Maybe that's your first point of R and D. You experiment. You see what works. You then double down and you expand and you scale. And uh, it also goes to scaling personalization that you mentioned a few minutes ago. Grift, amazing conversation. So just to, before the last question and and context of the audience, as you know, are champions inside organizations, L&D, change management, HR, innovation operations. These are the folks that get it. They want to to manifest a new future inside their organization. What what piece of advice would you give them to inspire them on their journey? You know, I, I hate to be too meta in the response to that, but I think it's just the continued commitment to, to, to the learning journey that we're on. You know, I think as... It's funny, I'm actually, not to go into, into too much specifics, but in one particular project, uh, working with a client around setting the stage for their, their next year, and we're, we're talking a little bit about the concept of, of greatness or upping our abilities. Uh, and what's, what's, re- what's really fun about it is like what we're, how we're unpacking it for the audience is recognizing that greatness never happens overnight and that things like the 4 a.m. rule and things like the 2% improvement a day rule, all of these things exist because the reality is the, the movers and shakers of the world, and it's true in our industry as it is in any others, are the folks that show up every day recognizing that it's an opportunity, not just uh, uh, something that's happening to us. So I think that's the only advice I could offer up is that I don't have any elixirs or potions or, uh, or uh, fast fixes for what's happening, but I do know that um, with the right mindset and the right set of habits, uh, folks are going to re- move in the right direction and ultimately it comes out of a, a true passion and desire for for helping your people build the careers and build the skill sets they want to. Grift, this was a pleasure. Amazing. This was the f- the fusion of the of the two minds on air. Yeah, I love it. Well, Adam, as you know, I, I always appreciate our conversations and any ch- any chance I get to, to just talk a little bit about what, what we think or what I think about the future. And um, as always, happy to come back. Happy to talk more. And if you ever want to, you know, go deeper on any of these concepts, you know, I'm only a phone call, Zoom call, any other call away. I'm going to take you up on it, Chris. Have a nice.